Good morning. Maybe let's try that one more time. Good morning. morning. Wonderful. It is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, My name is JP. I've been here for a few weeks now. I've gotten to meet many of you, but I look forward to getting to know more of you over the coming months. Uh, For the last six and a half years or so, my family and I have been working in India. Uh, We are prevented from returning right now due to the immigration situation due to COVID. Uh, So we'll be here for the next six months or so, Lord willing. I'm serving here as a pastoral assistant, and we hope to uh, return to India next year, if the Lord wills. I want to start this morning by asking you a question. What are you living for? There's probably not a simple answer to that. You may think you know what you live for. You may know what you want to live for, but I want you to to just think, to examine your own life. What are you living for? I hope if you're here this morning or if you're gathering with us online uh, that you wouldn't be following some other doctrine, some rival ideology to Christianity, but for all of us, there's a temptation to live for ourselves. If you want to see what you're living for, I think you can just examine what are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your meals? How do you spend free time when there's nothing that you have to be doing. These things will show what you're really living for. So I want to ask you, are you living for yourself to build your own kingdom, your own comfort, or are you living intentionally, spending your life and the resources with which you've been entrusted for the kingdom of God? You can think about a match. If you light one match, it burns out in a few seconds, not all that spectacular. But some of you, maybe, maybe some of the young men, have tried lighting one match and then lighting the whole box. Has anybody tried this? Not that you're willing to admit anyway. Well, you can go, you can either try it for yourself or You can look up videos on YouTube. You light one match, nothing special, but then if you light the box, when all of those match heads catch, it's like an explosion, like a firework. It's incredible. Our lives are like that. Our life, if we're living it for ourselves, there's nothing really remarkable about our own lives. But to encourage a a friend named Gaius to live a life in service to God. Let's read this together. Third John, verse health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. 
you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Father, I ask that you would help us this morning as we look at your word. Lord, give me strength as I speak, not to speak from my own wisdom or opinion, uh, but to speak clearly. Father, help all of us as we look at your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand. Help us to see and to receive this to make application in our life this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in 3 John, verses 1 to 8, I think we see two primary sections. So first, in verses 1 to 4, we see John's example of fatherly love. And then second, verses 5 to 8, John instructs us on how we can become co-workers for the truth, co-workers for the gospel. So first, we see John's fatherly love. John's writing, he calls himself the elder. Shem uh, talked two weeks ago a little bit about how we can know that this is, the elder is the apostle John. And he's writing here to a man named Gaius. Now, if you read the book of Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians, in fact, we meet a couple men named Gaius. This Gaius could be one of those, or it could be somebody else. That doesn't make a lot of difference for how we understand uh, the passage, but he's writing to this beloved friend. And we see over and over, he's writing about his love for him. He says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. If you, if you have the NIV Bible, it actually says, whom I love in the truth, which I think is more helpful for us in seeing here, John's love for Gaius is not rooted in personal affinity. John's not just saying, that Gaius, he's my kind of guy. You know, we, we just click. But he's saying, I love you, Gaius, in the truth. John's love for Gaius is rooted in his faith. His love for Gaius is rooted in the fact that they are brothers through the gospel. For us, this is an example even in how we love one another. We're from different backgrounds, different places. Some people you may just have an easy personal affinity with, praise God, but that's not the most important thing. What's most important about our love for one another is that it's rooted in the gospel. Verse 2, he goes on, he says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So here he's praying uh, for blessing and health for his friend Gaius. He's wishing well for him. Uh, if you were here last week or watching online, you may, th- you may be thinking now, last week, Pastor Nagusi was telling us that the gospel is not about health and wealth and prosperity. Some of you in your Bibles, this may actually say prosperity here, that he's praying that his soul will prosper. So some, some have even used this to advance uh, what's called the prosperity gospel, teaching that what Jesus came for is so that we would be healthy and rich and all, all these kinds of things. That's the primary promise of the gospel is flourishing here in this world. Uh, 
I think we can see, even from the context of this letter, he's calling Gaius to sacrificial love. We can see from John's other writings, uh, 1 John 2.15, he says, Don't love the world or the things of the world, for these things are passing away. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what's really, when we, when we look at the New Testament, what's promised to believers in this life is not good health, long life, physical blessings, lots of money, but what's promised to believers, to disciples of Christ, is persecution. We can look at 1 Peter 4 also, 1 Peter 4, uh, verses 12 and 13. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So Peter's telling the believers here, when, when suffering comes, when trials come, don't be surprised like this is something strange, but actually rejoice. This is the life to which you've been called. So here, we see John's love for Gaius. In John's love for Gaius, he prays for his health, for his well-being. We, we pray for that for one another. I'm not wishing that all of you have really hard lives and are persecuted and get sick. I want you to do well, but we also understand that the normal Christian life means difficulty in this world. And here, John moves on to encouraging Gaius. He encourages him. We see verses 3, continuing really down through 5, rejoicing in Gaius' faithfulness to the truth. Now, this is something else that Sham talked about two weeks ago. If you're online, you have the benefit of being able to take a break here. You could go listen to Sham's sermon if you wanted, or you could earmark it for later. Uh, but here, when we, when we see the truth in this letter, John is talking about the gospel, the message of the gospel, and walking in the truth means living in accordance with what the gospel is, living in obedience to Christ. And so here, we see John's primary goal towards Gaius in writing this letter is not instruction. Some New Testament letters are written for instruction, teaching new things, here's what you ought to do in this circumstance or that circumstance. We see 3 John is not written primarily for instruction, but for encouragement, for affirmation. He's not telling Gaius a new thing, but he's saying, this is what you're doing, keep doing it. You're doing great, keep going, brother. He gives the illustration here of, of a parent. So we, we can understand by reading, John has had some mentoring and discipling role in Gaius' life so that he loves him like a father. And he, he says, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. Many of us here are parents, and so you can feel this. When you see your child walking in obedience, when you see your child living for God, when you see your child doing well and succeeding, it gives you great joy. There's no greater joy than that as a parent to see your child doing well, to look at them and see that's exactly 
the right thing. They're doing great. And this is what John's saying to Gaius is, you're doing great. Keep going. And your success, your obedience, your faith gives me great joy. I want to encourage you guys this morning. I'm going to give you some homework here. We should be speaking to one another in these ways. We know that there's nothing good that's coming from us. If there's anything good, it's a gift of the Spirit. The more you grow in the Christian life, the more you realize you don't have anything to bring on your own. If there's anything good, it's coming from the Spirit. And so we, we recognize that in one another. I want to encourage you today, before you leave, find somebody and encourage them. Just marks of grace that you see in their life. I think particularly in this season where everything's over Zoom and we're all hidden behind masks, it's, it's easy to get discouraged and to feel separated. So find somebody and say, brother, sister, here's how I see God working in your life. You're doing great. Keep going. If you're here, you can look around even this morning to see who's here. Think about, remember, the assignment is before you leave. So take a minute, look around. It's not a joke. You, can, uh, you don't have to do it, but you can see, you know, if, if you're in the front, you can see who's in the back. Who can I be encouraging? Be thinking about this. And I want to encourage you to encourage your leaders in this too. The elders and deacons here who are, are serving and leading in so many ways. Think of someone, even if they're not here this morning, you can send a text message or an email, say, you know, brother, sister, I've been so encouraged and helped by your leadership in XYZ. Or I see God working in your life, helping you to be faithful in this area. Uh, I was encouraged recently, so we arrived in the UAE a little over three weeks ago, and uh, we have been staying with Sham over here at the intern villa, and you know, we get here and everybody's kind of jet-lagged and just, you know, you, if you've traveled with a family, you know, that's just difficult. And like the second day here, Sham just encouraged Megan and I and said, man, I see how you guys are parenting. I'm learning a lot. And I thought, boy, I feel like we are struggling right now. So I know if you're saying anything good, it's not because of us. It's just the Holy Spirit. And I was encouraged in that, you know, keep going. Yeah, traveling with kids is hard. But that doesn't change the call to lead faithfully in the home. So I want you guys to encourage one another. Think about ways that you can bless and encourage greater faithfulness right here in the body. Then moving into the second section, verses 1 to 4, we've seen John's fatherly love towards Gaius. Now, the second section, verses 5 to 8, John talks about being co-workers for the truth. And remember, when he, when he talks about the truth, he's talking about the message of the gospel. His first main point in this letter, and the, and the point we're going to be talking about with the rest of our time this morning, is partnership in the gospel through providing material support to gospel workers. Some of you 
may be called to go in this capacity. Some of you may be called to move to another place to proclaim the name of Jesus where it's not known now. But all of us are called to send and to support people like that. This letter gives us some tangible ways that we can live for God's kingdom in everyday life. Not all of us are gonna go, but all of us can be involved, can be partners in this work. I wanna just take a minute. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, if you're watching this online weeks from now, months from now, as an unbeliever, I wanna welcome you and say, first, we love you. And we're so grateful that you would gather with us. And secondly, I want to just say a little word about what we're talking about here and why. So when we talk about the truth, when we talk about missionary or a gospel worker, when we talk about the gospel message, the reason that's important is because what the Bible teaches is that there's only one way to be right with God. There's only one way to come into a right relationship with God. All of us have sinned and failed. All of us, because of our own sin, are separated from God and unable to earn any merit towards him. But God sent his son, Jesus, to become a man, to live a life completely sinless, to die a death, taking the punishment that we deserve, and raised him again on the third day, demonstrating his victory over sin and death. And now, not by good works, not by obedience to some new set of rules, but only by faith, we can be forgiven of our sins and brought into a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. This is the message of the gospel. And this is true for every single human being on the whole planet. So when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about being in relationship with God through him, this isn't hatred or judgment towards others. This is love because this is the only truth. So as Christians, we speak this truth with friends and neighbors and family members who who don't know it and don't believe it, and we send people to places where the name of Jesus is not known now because of love, not because of judgment or hatred. We do this because this is the truth and out of love. So if you're here or listening as someone who is not walking with God, please understand from us this is love. This is concern for you. This is a desire for your well-being, not just blessing in this life, but for eternity. So as we think about this, as we think about what it means to be a missionary or to be sent for the gospel, to live for the truth, what we're talking about is these essential truths of who God is, of who Jesus is, how we can be in relationship with him. John continues in his encouragement towards Gaius in verse 5. He says, Beloved, It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. So he's saying they're brothers who are strangers to you. Some of you, 
as you've walked with God, may have had the experience of your own brothers or sisters becoming strangers. Some of you may have been shamed or cast out, ostracized because of your faith in Christ. Some of you may have just seen that as you walk with Christ and live for His glory, that your priorities have diverged from your own families and have become estranged in that way. Jesus illustrated this in Matthew chapter 12. His, his family came to see him as he was teaching, and his disciples say, uh, Teacher, your, your mother and your brothers are here. And what does he say? Who are my mother and my brothers? My mother and brothers are those who do the will of my father. There's something astounding here. John's saying to Gaius, It's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. They're strangers to you, yet their their most fundamental identity, their most fundamental relationship to you is not strangers, but it's brothers. As you follow Jesus, your brothers may become strangers, but by God's grace, strangers become brothers. This has been our experience in coming here. We, I share no natural kinship with you, national affiliation, but we've been welcomed as brothers and sisters because of the gospel. John's talking here about unity and the gospel. That's what makes brothers. And these horizontal relationships between men and women, these horizontal relationships we're talking about have been earned by the vertical relationship that we have with God. The New Testament talks all over about adoption into God's family. One place we can see that is in Galatians chapter, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? Is this good news? If you guys don't say amen, I'm going to be worried about you. This is incredible. You were slaves to sin, and now you've been not only forgiven, but adopted to become children of God, heirs of the one true almighty God. This is an astounding truth. So these one another's, that we talk about in the church, how we love one another, serve one another, care for one another. The foundation of these one another's is the gospel. This life that we live in the church is built on the foundation of the gospel. I can call you brother or sister, not because I mean friend or buddy or I forgot your name or you seem nice, but I can call you brother or sister because we've been adopted by the same father. We are brothers and sisters. This is our most fundamental identity. John says here, it's a, it's a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on, a, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. He goes on, I'll read verses 7 and 8 here too. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. 
So here, John, again, he's not instructing Gaius in a new thing. He's encouraging him, exhorting him to continue in faithfulness, in the, in the pattern of faithfulness and hospitality which he's already shown. So here, John's talking about sending and supporting missionaries, sending and supporting gospel workers. In, in the culture of the ancient Near East, that's still this way in much of the world, if you came as an outsider, you have no standing in the community until somebody welcomes you in. So what Gaius is doing is not just you know, giving a little bit of food or something, but he's providing them a place in the community. When John talks about sending them on their way, what he's talking about is providing material support for their journey, providing material support for whatever they need and their work of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And he says here, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So this isn't begrudging hospitality because you have to. This isn't inviting somebody in when it's inconvenient and saying, uh, do you want a cup of tea? I wasn't, I'm not going to make any tea, but if you, if you really want it, I can make some tea. It'd be, you don't want, you don't want tea, right? He says, send them on, on their way in a manner worthy of God. This isn't an uninvited guest. Think about if, if you were going to have a, a dear friend over, how, how would you welcome them? Or if, if you had an opportunity to host the head of your company here in Abu Dhabi, how would you host them? Or if, if you were going to host the sheikh, he was going to come to your home, you would clean everything, make sure it's perfect, go out, buy new clothes, whatever you need to do, the sheikh's coming over. But here, he doesn't just say, in a manner worthy of somebody in a place of authority. He says, in a manner worthy of God. If you had an opportunity to host God, how, what kind of hospitality would you show? This isn't begrudging. I think maybe I can find a tea bag if you really want it. This is lavish, generous hospitality with a purpose. In uh, Matthew 25, we don't have time to, to look right now, but maybe you can make a note later. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40, Jesus is talking about hospitality. And he's saying on the last day, he's going to speak to those who have shown hospitality, and they'll say, when did we see you naked or hungry or give you food or drink? And Jesus says, to the extent to which you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it for me. This hosting, this supporting, is not done because you really love this particular missionary, but it's done because you really love Jesus. This is an opportunity for each of us to live our lives, to demonstrate with our time, with our finances, with our hospitality, what we're living for. In the Christian life, the most powerful tool is not the preacher or the 
pastor or the missionary or something like that, for, for you, one of the most powerful tools that you have is the kitchen table, inviting somebody in, caring for them, showing hospitality and love. This is rich, selfless hospitality with gospel purpose. John here gives us three reasons for this hospitality. First, we see that these people have gone out for the sake of the name. These aren't just Christians who are traveling. Showing hospitality towards them would also be great. But these are people who have been intentionally sent. We can understand by by reading here, these are people who have been sent from John's church. They've been sent out for the purpose of proclaiming the good news of who Jesus is. They've been sent out, he says, for the sake of the name. This is in contrast to the false teachers who have gone out, which we saw in 2 John. These have been sent out for the sake of the name. They're going out as gospel ministers. You're supporting them because of the purpose for which they've gone. Now, there's something really incredible and I think dignifying that we see in 2nd and 3rd John. We can read these letters together. uh, One commentator's called them twin sisters. 2nd John, he says of a certain class of teachers, do not welcome them in. 3rd John, he says, you ought to welcome them in. The difference here is not a small secondary doctrinal preference. The difference here is the gospel. These aren't minor points, but these are did Jesus come in the flesh or not kind of issues. These are did Jesus, was Jesus raised from the dead or not kind of issues. This is the gospel that he's talking about. I was, I was talking with somebody recently who'd worked in a bank for years and he's counting cash, this massive stack of cash, and going through and just, while carrying on a conversation, pulls out a bill and says, oh, I think this one's a fake. And so somebody else says, why? He said, you know, just years and years of touching these bills, you can spot it immediately. For us, as believers, we should have the gospel, the truth of the gospel, so deep in our bones that spotting a fake is easy. You don't need to study cults or false teachings. You don't need to think about any of that, but root yourself, ground yourself, eat and breathe and drink the gospel. Fill your mind with the truth of Scripture, and then when you see something that doesn't fit with Scripture, you'll recognize it immediately. Here, John's encouraging gospel unity around the essential truths of who Jesus is and what he's done. These are not minor points of doctrine or personal preferences separating the false teachers in 2 John and the gospel ministers in 3 John. This is the gospel itself that's separating them. So the first reason John says to support them is because they have gone out for the sake of the name. This is the purpose for which they've gone. Second reason he gives is they're receiving no help from the Gentiles. This is verse 7. He says they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And here, when he says Gentiles, you know, when, when we read Scripture, 
all humanity is basically divided into two categories, Jews and Gentiles. But here, this is not an ethnic distinction, but he's using it metaphorically to talk about people who are not believers, people who are outside the family of God. He's saying they're not receiving any support or help from the world. They're not going and preaching the gospel and then telling these people, you have to help me now. They're going out receiving nothing. They're not enriching themselves by this preaching. No one else is supporting them. So there's a financial component to the support here that he's encouraging Gaius towards for these gospel workers. And the third reason, this is, I think, just astonishing, is that by supporting gospel workers like this, we become co-workers for the truth. By doing this, you become a real partner in the work. Not all of us are going to go to another place for the express purpose of proclaiming the gospel. But all of us can become real partners in the work that's going on all around the world among people who don't know Jesus. All of us can be partners in that by helping and hosting and supporting and giving and sending missionaries. So a few points of application here, but before that, I just want to say our family, we've come here, we've only been here a few weeks, but we have been welcomed so warmly. If, if this were contemporary, I could be writing to Aubrey, and Aubrey could be writing to you. It wouldn't be Gaius, it would be Sham, and Jorge, and Bode, and Ben, and dozens of others who I, I'm, I can't name. You've welcomed us so warmly. So I want to encourage you, as John's encouraging Gaius, this isn't a new thing. Just keep doing it. Keep pressing ahead in it. Practically, uh, we have two men here on staff at ECC, fully supported by the gifts that you're giving, who are going out for this purpose. We have Sham, who's leading the Telugu outreach, which, Lord willing, will be a church starting within the next several months. And we have Wiley, who's going out to Ruiz to plant a church there. Think about how can you support and strengthen and encourage these men in this work right here in Abu Dhabi. If you're here as someone who speaks Telugu, you could be a part of that church. You could gather with them. You could add to their fellowship. You could benefit them in a way that the rest of us can't. Or if you're someone who uh, maybe you work in Ruiz or maybe you're just working from home now, you could really do it from anywhere, you could consider moving out to, to support and strengthen Wiley in the work to be a part of that church plant over the next several months. Practically, we, you know, we've seen in, in verse 7, there is a financial component to this as you give to ECC, that supports men like Sham and Wiley. This giving to start, but think about what else can I do for the pastors on staff at ECC? What else can I do for the church planters who are going out from ECC? Uh, something else coming to Abu Dhabi is everybody here 
is from some your place, going somewhere else, whom you can be a part of supporting and encouraging. What can you do with your time and your money and your relationships, your connections, to serve the advance of the gospel? You can think, I think all of us should examine, am I called to go? Consider that. Is the Lord calling you to that kind of work? Everything that we have, we've been given as stewards. God hasn't given you whatever your job, your friendships, your family, your money, your time. These haven't been given so that you can just kind of build a comfortable little life and things go well until you eventually get old and sick and die. That's not what you've been given these things for, but God's given them to you. He's entrusted them to you as a steward. So consider, what can I do with my life, with my time, my money, my relationships, my meals, my home? How can I use these to serve the advance of the gospel? How can I become a partner in the truth? How can I serve to see the name of Jesus proclaimed? I want to read a prayer from, uh, this is a book called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. And I want to read this prayer for us just to, to consider, to, to guide our prayers. It says, O God of my end, you've given me a fixed disposition to go forth and spend my life for you. If it be your will, let me proceed in it. If not, then revoke my intentions. All I want in life is such circumstances as may best enable me to serve you in the world. To this end, I leave all my concerns in your hand. But let me not be discouraged, for this hinders my spiritual fervency. Enable me to undertake some task for you, for this refreshes and animates my soul, so that I could endure all hardships and labors and willingly suffer for your name. But oh, what a death it is to strive and labor, to be always in a hurry and yet do nothing. Alas, time flies and I am of little use. Oh, that I could be a flame of fire in your service, always burning out in one continual blaze. Fit me for singular usefulness in this world. Fit me to exult in distresses of every kind if they but promote the advancement of your kingdom. Fit me to quit all hopes of the world's friendship and give me a deeper sense of my sinfulness. Fit me to accept as just desert from you any trial that may befall me. Fit me to be totally resigned to the denial of pleasures that I desire and to be content to spend my time with you. Fit me to pray with a sense of the joy of divine communion, to find all times happy seasons to my soul, to see my own nothingness and wonder that I am allowed to serve you. Fit me to enter the blessed world where no unclean thing is and to know you with me always. So I want to close as I began and ask you, what are you living for today?